you're so quiet. Well, church family, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service on this glorious Sunday morning. We've been packed all morning. I know some of you are watching from somewhere you didn't get in the room. Uh, you get bonus points. Uh, it's kind of a funny idea for sitting elsewhere. Uh, it's good to be together in God's house. Uh, let us be in an attitude of worship. Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the door of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where he laid, where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he told you.
Church, join me in our call to worship, which is found in our bulletin. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia.
raise our voices as we gladly proclaim our faith together with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
church, let us stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading is John chapter 20, beginning with the first verse. Now on this first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark and saw that the tomb, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. As Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, she, sto she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Saying this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and said to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that what he had said, these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, I have to uh, say what you guys can't see, but uh, those of us up front can. Um, our uh, director, Dr. Hugh Floyd, is, he's having fun like a little kid on Christmas morning. <laughs> it, it just, so much fun. Um, Easter. At the uh, YWCA uh, luncheon this year, their fundraiser, the uh, keynote speaker was a guy named Dr. John Jackson. He told a story about a, an older, wealthy man who found a young, beautiful bride. And he was a jealous man. So when he was drawing near to death, he called her uh, close by his side, and he said, Honey, I want you to make, make this promise to me, and that is that uh, when I die, you will bury me with my money. She said, well, Why? He said, I, I just can't bear the thought of leaving all my money and then you meet some younger guy and, and you, the two of you are spending it together. Promise me, you will bury me with my money. She said, I promise. So he died and she told a girlfriend about this promise. So she and the girlfriend went to the funeral home, the casket was open and uh, she reached into her purse, pulled out an envelope, put it in the casket. Her friend said, girl, you're not, you're not really gonna keep that promise, are you? And she said, oh yeah, absolutely. She said, but, um, I wrote him a check. <laughs> Somebody coming out of 945 said, can you explain that to me? <laughs> so it raises the question 
of what happens to us when we die, what do we take with us, uh, and so on. Great questions. It's like the question, you know, the other night, Lisa and I had the great blessing of um, on Wednesday night, uh, it was the Passover Seder, and we got to go to the home of Rabbi Michael Wolk and his wife Heidi and their two young children, and, and I have to tell you, though, by the way, every time I do this, I am, I am so tempted to convert because Jews have way more fun than Christians. It's just a thing. I don't know. Anyway, so the highlight of the Passover Seder, though, always is when the youngest child in the room rises and asks the following question, why is this night special above all nights? The question we might ask now is, why is this day special? Why is this week special above all other nights? I mean, Easter, what is it? Is Easter just uh, the celebration that, you know, when you die, you're not really dead. You just kind of get to live on, you know, go to heaven. Is the way God honors a well-lived life. Oh, you get to live eternally. We say things like, oh, if anybody deserved to go to heaven, it's Brother Bob. Nobody deserves to go to heaven. And then I think about Tammy Faye Baker, who said, oh, heaven to me is like, it'll be like being in a shopping mall and having a credit card with no limit. I've got to tell you, if heaven is like a shopping mall, it'd feel like I'd died and gone to hell. I don't know. Um, Some of self-indulgent anyway. uh, One of the surprise, I'm about to start a new series called Surprising Things I Learned in Seminary that you might want to know too. One of them was, I think when I entered seminary, if you'd asked me, I thought, you know, we're, we have immortal souls. Your body dies, you leave it behind one day, and then you have the soul that lives on forever. And the Bible doesn't actually teach this. The Bible teaches instead the resurrection of the body. But it's even better than that. The Bible doesn't just teach that God wants to save people. God's intention is to redeem all of creation. I mean, that's so typical of God, instead of just limiting it to people. God's going to redeem everything, and it's just going to be splendid and fantastic. Uh, God embraces and redeems everything, even in this story. We see uh, this story, it embraces doubt, it embraces confusion, it embraces unbelief. I mean, those first people, they didn't go there dressed, singing hymns with the the brass playing and the choir singing. They went, they were forlorn, they were confused, they were lost. That first day, Mary comes and she peeks into the tomb, and the body's not there. And her gut reaction is to think, oh, it must have been a thief. Somebody stole his body. But then she notices there's a clue, right? Is that the burial linens are all folded neatly. Not the kind of thing that a thief does on the way out with the body. Oh, I'll fold the burial linens before I go. But then it raises the question how'd they get folded? Like, did, did Jesus do that on his way out? <laughs> Like maybe his mother taught him, you know, make your bed. He folds. It's so odd. And then there's the thing, I never noticed it before this week, is that she peeks in and there are two angels. And one is at the head of where Jesus had lain, and the other is at the foot of where Jesus had lain. David Ford, this great Cambridge theologian, he commented on that. He said, maybe that's supposed to remind us of the Holy of Holies and the Jerusalem temple, where the Holy of Holies is this empty space, but where they thought God, God was really in that empty space. It's flanked by two cherubim there. We're supposed to think of that. I, you know, God, how do we put it? God is always, I think the story's trying to say to us, the tomb's empty, but yet Jesus is risen. It means that God somehow is in all of our empty places. 
Like if you feel that hollowness inside, if your life story has a lot of not yet to it, if you've got some just, just emptiness that just nags at you, if there are things that you do not know that you wish you knew, that somehow God is mystically present, although you can't see him in those empty spaces, i got to work on that for uh, another sermon. Uh, all this is about, we've well, got to figure out who Jesus is. There's a big front page article in this morning's Wall Street Journal. I haven't had a time to read it yet. It's just asking, who is Jesus? And the competing views, is Jesus a, a social warrior? Is Jesus a personal savior? Is Jesus cosmic? All the, you know, what is Jesus about? We've got to figure it out before this morning. I, I was going to say that I recently finished a great baseball book by a guy named Joe Posnanski. And he rates the top 100 baseball players ever. It's a terrific book. And so who's Jesus? Is he like the Babe Ruth of religious leaders? Like, wow, he was really good. Posnanski's book, by the way, while I've got you, he talks a lot in there about players you've never heard of from the Negro Leagues because they didn't get press and coverage, you know, back before baseball integrated, Jackie Robinson and so on. So he tells all these great stories about these guys. Like, uh, there's a player named named uh, Cool Papa Bell. You've probably never heard of him. And when people talked about him, they said, he was so fast. They'd say, he was so fast, he'd hit a line drive up the middle, and it would hit him as he would slide into second base. <laughs> cool Papa Bell was so fast, he'd score from first on a sacrifice bunt. He was so, there are all these stories about how fast Cool Papa Bell was. Uh, when he got older and baseball had integrated, somebody asked him if he regretted being born too early because he didn't get to play in the major leagues. And his answer was, oh, no, I was born right on time. <laughs> I love that. Another player named Buck Leonard, he was a great hitter, and what they always said about him was trying to throw a fastball past Buck Leonard was like trying to sneak the sunrise past a rooster. <laughs> I like that. You can't sneak a sunrise past the rooster. We got good weather today after two abysmal days of weather. Can't sneak. Sunrise past a rooster. I think the theme of the sermon would be you can't sneak a person past God. What do you think about that? You can't sneak a person past God. On Monday this week, uh, I had a conversation. We do this periodically. Uh, some of our pastors and a couple others on staff, we read a theology book together and we talk about it. We had a great conversation this past Monday. We were reading that David Ford guy talking about the Gospel of John, and we were on the passage in John chapter 14 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I thought about this. When I was in college, my best friend back then would have said, that is absolutely the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're just toast. And if somebody had asked me what I thought about that back when I was in college, I would have said, I think all religions are kind of basically the same. I don't know. And those are both uh, kind of lame perspectives, aren't they? His falls short because if, if only those who believe in Jesus get in and everybody else is toast, then the vast majority of the human beings that God has created and God has cherished all th through all of history, most of them are toast. That doesn't seem fitting for God. And then my idea that all religions are basically the same, all religions are not the same. And some religions are actually harmful. Some versions of Christianity are actually harmful to people. 
So how do we, uh, how do we think about such things? Uh, this week, uh, Holy Week, you know, I think the weird thing that Christians believe, no other religion has this, we have to ponder what's unique about us. It doesn't make us better than anybody else, but what's unique about us? And what's unique about us, it started at Christmas. What we believe is that Je- <laughs> we say, Jesus was born right on time. What we, what, we, what we think about that, and it seems crazy, I know, is that, is that God decided to become one of us. God thought, I, I, I want them to know me. They're pretty good at knowing people. They are people. I want them to know me. I'll I'll become one of them. I'll enter into their life, their worlds. I'll have flesh and bones, and I'll get hungry, and and I'll get sick sometimes, and I'll laugh, and I'll cry, and I'll fall down. I'll, I'll work hard and perspire and get hurt by people and love people. I'll do all of that. I think if I were God, that would be a pretty good strategy, right? I want people to know me and love me. I'll become a people. I'll become like them, and they'll have a chance of knowing me. It's not not ideas about God. It's not beliefs about God. It's not buildings that are about God. It's not denominations about God. What, What Jesus does... All Jesus claims to do. Jesus doesn't say, you know, I'm radioactive like I'm God. He doesn't just say, I'm a God like those pagan deities that came down from Mount Olympus and did sophomoric things. What Jesus says is, if, if you want to know the heart of God, just watch me. If you want to know the heart and the mind of God, just listen to me right? Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And Jesus says, here I am. And what we see in Jesus, amazingly, I mean, what is God like then? Is God this fierce judge? No, what we see in Jesus is Jesus didn't come to hurt anybody. Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody. Jesus came, and he was all mercy, He was all mercy. And that's what every one of you, I don't care how successful you've been, how beloved you are by your family, how many wounds you have endured, how hard your life has been, doesn't matter. The one thing that you have the deepest hankering for above everything else, the only thing that can touch you and make your life matter is mercy. And it's so hard to come by, isn't it? I mean, those best baseball players... It's amazing how many of the 100 best baseball players ever had fathers who were uh, cruel, harsh, distant. And so the sons were driven to prove themselves because of what they never got at home. Roger Clemens, he's a good example. Roger Clemens, I mean, he's a great pitcher, but he he pitched with this kind of maniacal rage, you know, and it it drove him even. He'd been so successful, but but then he had to use steroids because he had to just keep proving himself. One one time a reporter asked him, Roger Clemens, why do you you, you pitch with such maniacal rage? And he said, I don't know. He said, you know, I have everything that a man could possibly want. And then he added, except a dad who showed up to watch me play. Jesus' best story, showing us the heart of God, is about a son who went off into a foreign land and wasted everything. And when he came home, he expected his father would reprimand him. But no, his father ran and embraced him and threw a party. All mercy. All mercy. 
all tenderness. And the question that we have to ask, we think about I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we think about Easter, if we think about anything at all, is, is the question is, can Jesus bless those who don't believe in him? Can Jesus bless those who don't know him? Can Jesus bless those who all they've heard about Jesus is like bad stuff? Can he bless them? And, and my answer is, I, I hope so, and I'm sure of it. And here's why, I, I can do this. And you can too, and you have. I'll give you a couple of examples. When my mother was 95 years old, uh, she said several times, I wish I had died when I was 94. Her 95th year was hard, and I would go to see her. She had grown totally blind, and she was so very confused, and she was very belligerent in her confusion. And I would go, I, she didn't know who I was in the latter days, and I would try to do things for her in her confusion. She just would push me away. She didn't, didn't want anything, didn't want anything. Did I bless her? Yes sat in her room and I paid her bills for her. I pulled her covers up. I straightened her pillow. I combed the little bit of hair that she had left. She didn't ask for it. She didn't deserve it. She didn't maybe know I was there, but she was blessed. The better example is uh, with my own children. One of my three children is here, so I'm not talking about that one. Um, <laughs> my other two, though, I just have to tell you, when they were infants, they were horrible creatures. It's <laughs> uh, just difficult to beat the band. And what they would always do, it'd always be Saturday nights, like they know Dad's got to work in the morning. Saturday night, 3 a.m., they go, ah! They'd just be like, like demon-possessed. I don't know what was wrong with them. And I would get out, I would try to rock them. They would just ah, yell and scream, throw up all over me. And you know, never once in the middle of the night did they stop and say, oh, Dad, you're, you're such a wonderful dad. Thank you for holding me and clean. Thank you, please. No, they just like, they were terrible people. And they were blessed by my presence. I mean, if I can do that, can't God do that. Here's the thing that we read in our theology discussion. Uh, David Ford is thinking about that same passage after Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. In my Father's house are many rooms. Here's what he says about this. I love this. He says, my Father's house might be unimaginably capacious. That's my word of the week, capacious. I hadn't used that word in years, and now it's my favorite word. My Father's house might be unimaginably capacious, even those most at home there might meet many surprises, especially other people they do not expect, and also dimensions of truth they do not expect. I love that. Heaven will be, of course, it's God's house, so of course it's going to be capacious. You're going to be surprised by who is there, like, whoa, how'd he get in? <laughs> then you'll think, hmm, how'd I get in? How? And all these interesting things uh, will happen. Uh, we'll think about what divided us, for instance, politically here on earth. I know what you think. I, I, know, I know you carry this thought. You think, in heaven, I'll meet up with that relative of mine who was so wrong politically, 
And they'll come up to me and they'll say, oh, man, I was so wrong. You were so right. And this is not going to happen. <laughs> What's going to happen is you'll run into that person and you'll both say, wow, we both whiffed on that one, didn't we? And then you'll hug each other and have a good laugh at how little you knew. There will be healing in this place. I've told some of you before about a family funeral that I conducted and I came out and I saw the son of the woman we were burying on the front row. His face was um, hardened by years of pain, dysfunction. It was just etched all over his face. I knew he'd had just such a difficult time with uh, this woman. And what I believed is that uh, as bad as all that had been, that in my father's house, what will happen is that his facial muscles will begin to relax and he'll actually begin to smile and he'll see his mother that I never saw smile in her lifetime and she will smile and they will embrace each other and they will laugh and they will shed tears of joy. All those things that go wrong here, you know, like in, in my father's house, there aren't going to be people that don't get a fair shake at learning, eating, how, all, the, all those things. Like in my father's house, it will be unimaginably capacious. All kinds of people will be there, will be surprised. Let me end with this. I, uh, a, a colleague of mine, uh, we were talking this week about preaching on Easter, and he said, James, you better, you better get a really good sermon together for Sunday. And I said, why is that? He said, well, the people you're going to be talking to, you're not going to see them again for some time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, maybe, I don't know. I hope to see you soon. Here's, here's what I really hope, though, is that the stuff that we talk about here, you know, the music is great, you know, all that. But, but what, what, what we talk about here is the thing that I was saying, is, is that Jesus says, friends, this is what God is like. God is all mercy. God is all life. God is all goodness. And I, what I want is for you to believe that. I mean, and for you to feel it in your gut. You, God's always in the stands watching you, cheering for you. God is always on your side. God is always luring you toward life. Even in your worst moment, God's rocking you to sleep. God's combing your hair, sitting by your bedside, paying your bills, whatever. And it's such a beautiful thing. And I want to say that, whether you come back, I don't know, is church isn't the real delight of church. This is really good. We do this music stuff so well. Uh, but the real beauty of the church isn't that. The real beauty of the church happens Monday to Saturday, week after week after week, when we just do little things, one little thing after another, to say to somebody in the world, you matter, to say to somebody who doesn't believe they have any worth, you do have worth. So we do stuff together. We've got a lot that we've got to get done together, and it takes a little courage, and it takes a little sacrifice, and it takes a little time, but it's so wonderful because then what we know is that we do whatever it is that we do, and there's somebody out there who, like, they weren't sure, they didn't think there was a God, but they see us, and they think, eh, maybe. <laughs> That's pretty good. Maybe. Maybe. I, I, I thought God was judgmental and cruel, but I, those guys, they, they seem full of mercy. Maybe God's really like that. Maybe I'll give that a shot. 
Maybe I'll trust in that and not be so driven by all the things that drive us. We have a lot of work to do together. Friends, thank you for being here today, celebrating this great uh, Easter story. We really do get a beautiful glimpse of what is in the heart of God. <laughs> it's like you, you can't sl slip a sunrise past that rooster. You, you can't slip a life, not one, past our God. I'm so grateful for that. I know you are too. Happy Easter. Friends, let us go to God in prayer together. Loving and gracious God, the morning has come. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. You are with us. Yes, in this life we know that there will still be pain, disappointments, betrayals in our world and in our lives, but your light will always break through the darkness no matter what happens. Your presence moves deeper and wider than what our minds and our hearts can possibly see, hear, feel, or comprehend. You are right. You are right. Nothing can separate us from you, not even death. May we always remember this truth, this hope, hope that is here. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Spirit of the living God, Easter brings the good news that although things seem at times to get worse in the world, the evil one has already been defeated. Easter allows us to affirm that although at times our God seems distant, and although we remain so preoccupied with so many little things, you walk with us on the road, and when we astray, you bring us back toward you. Forgive us for our wandering ways, for neglecting your truth, and for forgetting your grace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. May we live our lives each and every day in light of Easter, May our words, our deeds, our hearts be made, only be made comprehensible to the world in light of the resurrected Lord. Lead us and guide us always so that we can share this good news of Easter with your children, searching for a light in the midst of their darkness. So grant us courage and give us patience to seek, to wait, to witness, to heal, and to love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. So trusting in your everlasting goodness, your presence that is always with us, we pray with confidence a prayer that you tie your disciples to pray as we pray in one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 
Friends, it is through God's continuous and everlasting goodness and your intentional generosity that makes the ministry of our church possible. We are reminded that our Easter offering will be given to our ministry partners with Habitat for Humanity and Faith Ministry. For this, we give thanks. Let us, with great joy, receive our morning tithes and thanksgiving.
Loving and gracious God, you're our giver of all good things in our lives. We offer a portion of that which you've given to us so that these gifts will be used to share your light and your good news to all your people. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore.